I remember the second time um, I went to visit the Hare Krishna temple. Um, I had been back in Wexford for about three months and I felt like I wanted to go and get some peace and quiet and just get into a spiritual atmosphere where I could sit and think and make some decisions in life. So I went up to the temple and as I was going up, the devotees were running out the door, getting into their van and going to the Rose of Tralee festival, which wasn't exactly what I geared myself up for. But anyway, I got caught up in the slipstream and uh, ended up in the Rose of Tralee festival. I'd never been in Tralee in my life. Uh, so I was, um, it was all new experience. I was with the Hare Krishna. It was a completely different uh, atmosphere altogether. They so we went chanting in the streets every day for up to five hours. Uh, and then I remember one day particularly... I was wearing uh, the yellow, the yellow tilak mark on, on my forehead because I, you know, just got cut up with staying with them. And uh, I was walking behind the chanting party, but there's a whole lot of people dancing with the kirtan, with the devotees, and the whole street was practically dancing. So I just got into dancing as well. And I was right beside the devotees at this stage. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around; it was a girl from Wexford that I knew. And then I looked around, and, and half of Wexford was there. My girlfriend and everyone were all standing there with their mouths open, looking at me. She says, "Oh, look, look at him! Look at Timmy!" So I said. Uh, Oh, uh, yes, well, I'm just, uh, I just happened to be here. I, I didn't know you were coming. I was trying to fog it off. And then she said, Oh, look, the mark on his forehead. He's one of them. So then uh, all the mortification and embarrassment kind of passed. And I just accepted that, yeah, I was one of them. I was, I was into being a Hare Krishna. <laughs> One of the fondest memories of my life is a day back in 1964 when I got a phone call from um, Mount Carmel Hospital to say that I had, or my wife had, rather, our first daughter. Anne was a particularly inquiring child, as I say. We used to call her the white child uh, because she was always looking for answers to everything. I first met the Hare Krishnas when I was in University College Dublin um, studying social science. Um, the Hare Krishnas used to have a stall at the Friday market there, a vegetarian stall. So I suppose the f- my first experience of the Harris was through my belly. And then from then on, my contact grew with them, sort of on and off. It was very vague in, in my college years. Like it just, I used to go to the Sunday feast every week, and that was a free meal, and that was really the reason I went for it. <laughs> At the moment we're preparing the Sunday feast. Every Sunday we have this program where we invite guests to come and they hear a bit about the philosophy because there's so many people, you know, although they've heard of the Hare Krishnas, they don't really know anything about it, so we invite them to come every Sunday. And um, we serve a big vegetarian feast. That's partly, you know, so that um, people can see that vegetarian food can be very varied and very tasty, not that it's just nettle soup and salad and boring things like that. So we have to start quite early on Sunday, so that's why why we're here now. All the preparations for the Sunday feast, we serve about eight different preparations. They're all offered to the deities, the deity of Krishna, in the temple room. The plates... We have um, different plates for the deities, 
and each preparation is put on the plate, just as you would serve it to anybody, you know, say, say any important person, like a king or queen or anything like that, you try and make it as nice as possible, look as attractive as possible and be as tasty as possible. So they, the, the deities have tables and chairs on the altar. That's just um, to help us to understand that they're persons, not that they actually go and sit on them, but, you know, we meditate like that so that we can understand that Krishna's actually a person. And... Um, so the plates are put on the tables and then different mantras are chanted, different prayers to the spiritual master and in glorification of Krishna and Lord Chaitanya. They're recited. And then um, the deities are left for a certain period, 20 minutes usually. And then the pujari, the priest, will go back and um, take away the plates and that's how the food's offered to Krishna. <laughs> I'm studying for the priesthood. I am with the religious order myself. I've just finished my studies in theology and have to complete a fourth year pastoral year next year. And I'm a year older than Anne. My sister was born on the same day. We share the same birthday, but I'm a year older than her. Um, I'm not sure when she first mentioned the Hare Krishnas. My recollection is the first I heard of it was when she was already involved in it. So I don't think there was any case of prior preparation or she'd been thinking about or she'd been mulling it over in her mind I think I find out, found out that she'd already joined and that's when I heard about them and she kind of had kept it to herself and I presume she got uh, involved on the fringes and then found herself becoming more involved and that's when I heard about it when I think she'd at least gone up to stay with them or had some kind of uh, sporadic contact with them. In one of her letters, the first mention of the Hare Krishnas was through their vegetarian food. She was always wanted to be a vegetarian, but didn't succeed at home. And um, she used to go, they, I think, used serve food in UCD because that's where she came across them. And then I think somebody introduced her to, they had these Sunday feasts, but she didn't go to one of those for some time. Uh, I didn't take much notice. Like I, I didn't, I didn't think too much about it. I just thought this isn't just something she's going through in college. Like I, it, it, it didn't alarm me then. I still didn't know much about the philosophy, although when I asked um, about the vegetarianism, they they explained to me um, their reasons, which I found fascinating, and they made a deep impression on me. Um, See, I'd, I'd always been a lover of animals, and I never understood why animals were always a, a peripheral part of Catholicism and, and nature, too, actually. Um, for me, animals were just little personalities, just like human beings. They were less intelligent, but they were they were really not that much different, apart from their bodies, than, than humans. And yet I could never understand why there was never a place for them in Catholic philosophy. And... I mean, this always troubled me for years. There was never any standard teaching in this regard or, or in, about animals. And um, when I came to the Hare Krishnas, uh, I put these same questions to them and it was it was explained exactly in, in a way that, that felt completely right and truthful to me. They said, yes, animals do have souls. In fact, all living beings, all living entities have souls. In fact, a soul is a life force or the energy force 
within, which comes from God and, you know, which makes an inanimate object animate. And for me, that was it. That was just it. And there was this was something that I, I'd known all along intrinsically without actually having the knowledge to explain it. <laughs> We call God Krishna. Uh, it's one name for God. God has unlimited names because God is by nature unlimited. So when uh, we hear other people calling God Allah or Buddha or Jehovah, our consideration is that it's the same God that we all worship. But we worship him from different angles of vision. So therefore we're going to see him differently. Like if you look at someone from the front or the back, your description will be different. It's not a different person. There's no need to argue about it. child um god was always um a part of our lives my, my parents were both practicing catholics and my mother especially um pray, placed a lot of emphasis on prayer and family prayer and we all used to kneel down at night and say our prayers together and before we went to sleep and mom would come and tuck us in she'd say our prayers with us so i suppose the nighttime darkness was bridged with the with the feeling that yes there's a god out there so we grew up with that and i believed in god and i, I mean i was sure there was a supreme intelligent being a loving and personal being but you know whatever relevance that had to what i did in my life i didn't know it was kind of separate from what i did so i was very impressed with how harry krishna's made their philosophy an integral part of their life they actually lived what they they believed and this was something I'd always had difficulties with. Um, Jesus Christ in the Bible preaches, you know, give up everything and follow me. And the ultimate e essence of his, of his teachings was, um, you know, love thy God with all thy heart and all thy strength and love thy neighbor as, as, thy, as thyself. And um, if this is the ultimate teaching of, of Jesus Christ, well, then why aren't people following it? And I couldn't see Catholics or people using the word Catholic as, as to, you know, to identify themselves. They weren't doing this. And I don't mean to be condescending. And, and, and I mean, I, I don't claim to know what's in the heart of people or what they're thinking. But as in my own life, I certainly wasn't following this teaching as a Catholic. I certainly wasn't giving up, giving up everything and following Christ. And I certainly wasn't trying to love God with all my heart and all my strength and all my mind. I just wasn't. So... That's a pretty heavy commandment as such. So the Hare Krishnas as a group, I really saw that they were genuinely trying to do that. So my experience of the Hare Krishnas were that they were the best practicing Catholics that I, I had met. So the Hare Krishnas were the first group of people um, I actually came to know who could explain to me something so important to me as in the animal question and also who, who could make the connection between, yes, there is a God, and what's that got to do with your life? We believe in the law of karma, which is simply the law of action and reaction. It's a very uh, fundamental law of 
nature as it is. It's not even considered to be a spiritual law. It's just the law that governs our bodies and our minds. We also believe in reincarnation, which means uh, the transmigration of the soul or the uh, the fact that the soul can uh, go from one body to another. At death, the soul leaves one body and enters another body. Um, the law of, nature, of reincarnation is intrinsically linked with the law of karma in that in one lifetime, you, you will have a balance of good and bad activities. and Therefore, you've set yourself up for another body because maybe you haven't worked out the full scale of your activities, of your, sorry, of your karma, of, your, of the reactions that you're due to suffer or enjoy. We enjoy good karma or we suffer bad karma. So um, if a person isn't practicing spiritual life and dedicating their whole life to God, then they're involved in the cycle of karma. It's considered a, a material cycle. And therefore, they're going to uh, suffer or enjoy according to how they act. So if someone practices spiritual life at the end of their body uh, and they've been perfectly pure in their practice and selfless, they don't come back to this world again or take another body, but they go to the spiritual world. But if someone uh, has material desire and isn't really interested so much in spiritual life, then their desire is actually to uh, come back to this world again because that's what they enjoy. So uh, they're given the facility to take a body in this world, a body that um, suits their kind of enjoyment, but based on their karma. If they've been exceedingly uh, bad, they won't get a very good body, or they'll get a body that's going, going to suffer an awful lot. I wasn't really very alarmed, except at some stage she kept talking about them. And this was when she was finished. And I remember thinking, oh, uh, I'd love her to get away. And I remember looking up the paper, the Times, one day and seeing this ad for teaching in, in Spain. So I remember saying it to her, and she didn't respond very much. But later she came along and said uh, she was going for this interview. And she did, and she got it. So um, I was delighted, actually. I was delighted because I said, this will be, she'll be out of the country and she'll get over this thing because she won't come across them. So I really was happy for her going to Spain. But they did keep in touch with her. They, I, they rang with her before she went, and I know they sent books here before she went, which I thought was a bit much, but I felt, well, once she's gone, that's it. But I discovered they did keep in touch, and Anne did keep in touch with them when she was in Spain. I don't know how regularly, but certainly she did. When I finished college, I had um, an overwhelming desire to travel, to sort of think about things, discover more, meet other cultures, and see how all this had a bearing on the relevance of God in my life and other things. It was an adventure. It was the freedom of leaving college, no more studying, and um, just getting out there and having a good time. So I hitched around Europe, and then I came back home to Ireland, and I visited the temple, visited the Hare Krishnas again, and got some more literature and read up more about the philosophy. And it began to be even 
more interesting and more attractive. But still, I mean, the last thing I had in my mind was to go up and join a temple. That sounded far too restrictive and far too, um, far too difficult for me. So <clears throat> I went off to Spain um, to teach English for a year, and it, it was so beautiful that I stayed for two years. I was not personally aware of her interest in the Hare Krishnas when she first embarked on that venture I knew that she was delving into the various religions and reading books and so on and from talking to my wife we um, just wondered as any parent would but we, I wasn't too surprised. I mean, it's normal to probe at that stage of one's life. And it didn't bother me in the slightest. In fact, looking back on my own youth, when the penny catechism was the Bible of the day, and there was hell and heaven and the devil and mortal sin, and sex was the be-all and end-all of our Catholic religion, I rather welcomed the fact that I had a child who did not take things for granted, who queried her religion, queried other religions, queried life, made up her own mind. Um, I was 25 when I came back from Spain and I was faced with the decision of going back to Spain again for a further year because I'd been offered a job there for as long as I liked. Um, or the, next, the question was, what now? What was the next step going to be? The other option was to um, to go to and spend some time in the Hare Krishna temple in Belfast. Now, I had visited the temple before. <clears throat> I had spent a week there, um, the Easter I was home in the first year in Spain. While I liked it, I found it <clears throat> a little too rigid for me at the time. Um, the reason why it was, I found it difficult getting up at four o'clock in the morning, um, simply because I wasn't used to that. Um, I also found it difficult um, to stay in the one place for for a whole week. That was difficult. It was like a retreat period. But I'd been so used to flitting off here and there at the slightest whim. Um, staying in a temple, um, following a regime, which was, I, I thought, quite strict. I found that all difficult at first. When she came back from Spain, then, uh, the after her first year, she really uh, floored me, I think, when she said she was going up. She came home, I think, at Easter, and she went up to Belfast. And that was most unusual, like, to come home for a holiday. And I think she spent practically a week up there, which gave her a very short time at home. That I did not like, and I thought, this she, she certainly hasn't forgotten them. They're still there. And I gather, like, that they, they have, had been in contact all the time. I didn't like that. I felt like this is going, like what is she doing? And I remember talking to Anne, I'd say, for hours on end, getting nowhere. We had the same old arguments and I was accused of tunnel vision and the usual because I couldn't understand why, if she, as she said, she wanted to do serve God. She felt they did it better than we did. And I said, like, we're all, we're all human. There's some good and there's some bad. But why she had to to go to this 
what I kind of said was an alien culture. Not that I have anything against them. They are very good people. From what I hear, they're charming, they're good, they do all the things that we do. So that I just can't understand why she had to go outside our framework to do this. After that week at Easter I spent there, I I was glad in one sense to go back to Spain. and But I found that when I'd gone back to Spain... Memories of that week kept recurring and it was, looking back on it, it was a very special experience to me. It was, it was very, um, a good experience. And so I thought about that a lot and I tried to imagine myself as uh, in practicing a lifestyle like that. So I tried to imitate some of the lifestyle, as I said, in Spain and it, it increased in the second year in Spain. I did try to chant and try to think more and pray more uh, about God in my life and and sort of ask for some sort of direction and I tried to be more conscious in what in how I live my life uh, about more conscious like the Hare Krishnas are they're Krishna conscious try to be Krishna conscious too in in things that I did and uh, I found that I did develop a much greater peace of mind and the niggling feeling that was always in me for years and years, like a niggling feeling, yes, there's a God, so what? What's that got to do with my life? How do I make the connection? This niggling that had gone on for years was pacified. It began to taste good. It's difficult to describe it, but it felt right. I felt I was on the right trail. This is this is it. This is, this is the, the road I should be following. So when I came back from Spain then, I thought, you know, why not give it a try? Otherwise I'll be speculating about it for the rest of my life. Why not? go, spend some time there. So I said I'd stay for a month and or two and see how it went. And uh, I've been there six months now and still saying I'll give it another month. Right, a temple community is in Sanskrit called an ashram. And the word refers to a spiritual community, uh, people who come together solely for the purpose of spiritual life, uh, to practice together and live together while they perform that practice. Men and women uh, live together in the ashram, but uh, they're strictly separated. Uh, the rules of spiritual life are strictly adhered to in the uh, ashram. There's no uh, illicit sex, that means sex outside of marriage. And even married couples who live in the ashram don't live together. Uh, there's no intoxication, which includes tea and coffee, uh, alcohol, cigarettes, etc., and any form of drugs, whatever. Uh, no meat eating, which includes fish and eggs also, and no gambling. We also have a very regulated uh, daily program, which begins at 4.30, with uh, the congregation coming together for congregational chanting and worship in the temple. Um, that mor whole morning program goes on until um, 9 o'clock when we have breakfast. During that, we spend about two hours in personal meditation, which for us is chanting the Hare Krishna mantra on beads to ourselves. And also we meet together at different times for uh, chanting, singing different hymns and songs, etc. And we have a scriptural class. We have seven services throughout the day, not all attended. Just the morning and evening services are basically attended by the whole community. So uh, we have, practically speaking then, a monastic lifestyle, uh, both men and women. And we practice it you know, together like that. 
men and women uh, perform the priestly activities. Women are as qualified priests as men are. They take part in administration, etc. So they're, they're, we're all integrated members of the community. The routine in the temple wouldn't suit everybody. It can be a bit rigid. Well, f- for some people. Um, and that's why Hare Krishnas wouldn't just allow anybody to land on the doorstep and, and decide to, to follow the routine or follow temple life. They have to show some hint of sincerity about spiritual life before they can join a community because it's a very special atmosphere and if you if you haven't um, if you can't contribute to that atmosphere it's an atmosphere of Krishna consciousness like and if you come in with a completely different consciousness you really do upset all the other people trying to practice spiritual life if someone wants to join the Hare Krishna movement uh, there are certain considerations one is that they have to be of age to make their own personal decision and legally be seen to be able to do that. Um, another thing is that they have to be genuinely interested in the practice of Krishna consciousness. That means that for some good period of time, they have to have been practicing, reading the books, they have to like study the philosophy and know what it is. They have to have associated with devotees and you know come regularly to the temple, etc. And another consideration is that the local devotees where that person is attending will know that person personally and they will recommend them. So it's not kind of a whimsical thing, and it can't be. Um, If the person fulfills the criterion, and they are genuinely interested, and they have practiced for a good length of time, and there are instances where people have come forward wanting to join, and we've said, uh, well, most instances are like this, we've said, um, best stay outside for some period and practice at home, you know, and then it's a very serious decision, then see how you feel about it. Because we're very interested that the person makes their own personal decision, you know, that it comes from them. Then if if that's okay with them and they are quite sincere, then they can join the temple community for some period. I didn't actually tell them how long I was going for. I just went up to Dub- up, up to Belfast and stayed for a week and my parents asked, well, what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm just staying for a little while in the ha- in Belfast. And so it was an eternal, well, not eternal, uh, a little while and another little while and another little while until they realised I'd obviously made some sort of a commitment to myself and the Hare Krishna movement. And uh, the subject was broached, but it wasn't such a shock because at this stage I'd been with them for about a month. So I said... You know, there was there was a showdown, and Mum sat down, and Dad sat down, and and Anne sat down, and, and Dad said, "Well, what are you doing with your life?" And Mum said, "Yes, Anne, what are you doing with your life?" And I said, "Well, I'm spending some time with the Hare Krishna movement in Belfast to see if this is a thing for me. It's a trial period, and I'll make decisions after this." And in a nutshell, that went down all right. I wasn't in the slightest shocked when I heard that she might live in the temple in Belfast. My philosophy is that we all try to do something which makes us happy. 
whether it be through our work or maybe doing a mundane job which provides the wherewithal to make us happy in our leisure. Basically, we begin our day by trying to do something which pleases us and we hope to end it by looking back and saying we've done something worthwhile. If that is what Anne is doing and she's happy, well, I am happy for her. I appreciate that her mother is worried, has been worried and is worried. Maybe it's strange, but I am not a bit worried. I don't, I don't understand it. I can't understand it. It's a rejection of all that... Uh, I felt that we were handed something. I, my great-grandparents, my parents, we were brought up in a certain way. And I feel it's, a turning, it's turning your back on something that was very important to me. And uh, as I say... There's nothing wrong, but I feel she has turned her back on something that was it was precious to me. It was handed to me. I carried it on, and I had hoped to pass it on to my children. And uh, she has rejected it, I think. Yeah, as you can see, they're banging their bells and shouting some funny names. I mean, that's no way to get to heaven. They're just disciples of Satan, that's all I can say. I just think they brighten the place up an awful lot, you know, and just make it dead colourful and stuff, you know. It's a good atmosphere. Like the music as well, the wee bells and stuff. Well, to me, they're hiding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray at night for them. And these people, the Christians, are what they call the Antichrist. I don't know, I don't think many people just take much notice of them. They're just, they're just expected to be here every Saturday. People mainly see the Hare Krishna members on the streets when they're out chanting Hare Krishna. That's called uh, Hare Nam or chanting the holy names. I think they're a bit outdated. Ugh, they're not bothered. Rubbish. I don't, they don't bother me at all, I just ignore them. Not allowed to say no, unfortunately. Sorry about that. <laughs> Whatever gets you through the day. I don't know. Um, Shelly, I don't know. You can all make that in public. I think it's stupid. Uh, I think they're a bit crazy, actually. Myself. I just don't understand them at all. Look like a red pack of agents. Uh, the mantra we chant: Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. Uh, we've become famous for. It's a very simple mantra. It's called the Maha Mantra in Sanskrit. It means the greatest mantra. It's considered very potent. Basically, there are three words, Hare, Krishna and Rama. Hare invokes the energy of the Supreme. Uh, it's evocative of the word Hara, which means the energy of bliss, God's energy of bliss or his energy to enjoy. Krishna means the one who attracts everyone to him. And uh, Rama is a very beautiful name for God. It means the reservoir of all pleasure. And by chanting God's name, we, we come in contact with him and become purified. We had to avoid them. We had to walk away down a long way to avoid them. I never see them. I live in Bangor. They're not there, thank God. They can stay up here. Well, well, they're not really doing anybody any harm. 
chaps dancing in the middle of the street, but I don't like them, but I suppose they're not doing anybody any harm. I respect anyone's right to make their own case for their own religion. I'm a Christian, so obviously I wouldn't sympathise with it entirely. But I do respect anyone's right to, to make their noise. And uh, I, I do feel it's a bit of a noise. I don't really appreciate it as such, as the way they express it, but they've got their rights. We go out chanting Hare Krishna on the streets, mainly because we are a missionary movement. Um, and we want to share the chanting with everybody else. And people may or may not accept it. That's completely up to them, but it's our right. And it's uh, one form of, uh, of preaching. <laughs> They're better than the Christians. Um, I am one. <laughs> Of the Hare Krishnas? Yeah. They're excellent. They're brilliant. No, they're brilliant. I think they're really good. They're brilliant. They're really happy. I think they're fine. They're okay. They make a bit too much noise, though. They're nice. I would think to chat. It wouldn't be my cup of tea. I wouldn't want to be going around uh, chanting in the streets, meeting people in that kind of way. It just wouldn't be me. But I think for, for her, I'd know that uh, that really appeals to her, and she would have a sense, yeah, this is part of me when I'm there. So... It's not so odd or it's not so out of the ordinary for her and that she enjoys it. And I presume that's why she's, she still does it. She gets some kick out of it. Now, when I first arrived at Temple, yeah, I definitely thought, this is a renounced life, this is not for me, this is heavy stuff. I couldn't do this. But now, it's difficult to describe, it's very subtle, but there's an inner feeling of peace and, yeah, this is right, this is good, this is spot on. This kind of feeling of, of inner well-being that it, I can't say I have, I mean, I feel it every day, but every so often you get a hint of it. And that hint is enough to make you continue. You get this feeling, yeah, this is right. And um, that makes it less of a renunciation. You begin to actually develop a taste for a life like this. And that all the things you found so necessary before, like going off to see a film or read a novel or stuff your face with chocolate or go have a cup of coffee or, you know, go out with a boy. All these things, well, before they were overwhelming, um, well, they weren't actually, but they could have been overwhelming steps to take before going into a temple. They, they don't seem to be so important anymore. She said to me one day recently, it's the same God, regardless of whether it's a Catholic God or a Hare Krishna God. And... I was quite interested in that statement. I feel that the God, whatever God it is, will respect Anne's wishes, reward her lifestyle and her giving of self and her lack of material want which I think is the curse of this world namely greed in every shape and form A person accepts initiation after some period usually after at least a year of practicing Krishna consciousness following the regular principles and chanting um, on beads regularly for about two hours every day. So once they're seen to be able to maintain that for a good period of time, and that they feel that they want to make more of a commitment, then there's an initiation ceremony 
where they, they choose a guru uh, and the guru accepts them as a disciple, a spiritual master, uh, accepts them as a disciple and they get a spiritual name, a Sanskrit name. Um, it, it's just a name of God or one of God's devotees and it means you're the servant of that person. Uh, and they take their vows at initiation, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no meat-eating, uh, no gambling. Um, and they also vow to chant 16 rounds of Hare Krishna on beads every day. Um, a round is when you chant the mantra 108 times on the beads, or 108 beads. So to go around that 16 times, uh, as I say, it takes about two hours. To join a movement like the Hare Krishnas um, is bound to cause upset and hurt in a family, particularly by the, the way it's been advertised or the way it, it, it's known in in society at the moment. People don't understand exactly who, who the Hare Krishnas are or what they're doing. And because of this ignorance, all sorts of ideas and um, misconceptions arise about them. And on the basis of these, families can be hurt and, and deeply by maybe a daughter or a son getting involved. But at the same time, you have to make, everybody has to make a decision in what they're going to do with their life and how much you want to live your life for your parents? Um, I would expect the children to be individualistic. I am myself rather individualistic. Perhaps was afraid in my day to query at school and so on, and my job is not done. As regards religious matters, I grew up with the old penny catechism which sent me to bed at night with the knowledge that there was a hell there where I would burn if I did anything wrong for all eternity. That punishment was everywhere. It was the inward punishment for sin. And I could never understand, even to this day, why a creation could leave us in fear, as it left me growing up. Fear of sin, fear of death, fear of hell. I've got over all that. I don't worry about those things now as a rule. I feel that the God that is there, whether it be a Hare Krishna God or a Catholic God, no matter what God he is, he's just enough to see that there should be a reward for effort. I can not understand, even to this day, what is the purpose of all this suffering being put into the world and having to continually strive to be perfect. When with one flick of the wrist, the whole thing could be sorted out by this creator, whoever he is or whoever she is. I did not go into detail 
in my reading or delving into religions. Perhaps Anne is doing now what I might have liked to have done, but didn't bother. I did consider becoming a nun, especially when I was at school and, and the later years of school life. I gave it serious consideration, and it has always been sort of at the back of my mind. Um, and even now when I'm in the Hare Krishna movement, uh, I often try to compare life in a convent with life in the Hare Krishna movement and wonder, oh, why could I not practice spiritual life within the, well, within the confines of Catholicism as such. But, and you know, if it would help to alleviate the hurt my mother might feel because of her inability to get beyond the label Catholic, if it would make her happy for me to keep that sticker over my head, why could I not do it? Well, there's, it's difficult because now that I have got some so much knowledge so little but it's a lot for me you know the knowledge of animals and all living entities having a soul knowledge of reincarnation and have experienced a form of worship that i find all encompassing and and i like it's very difficult to take anything less and convents as far as i understand their life do offer less i always want to them freedom of choice. I never pushed anyone into anything or we never suggested anything for any of them. Yes, I would always want it and that's why I I get this back at me because she is doing what she wants. But I I just never thought of I suppose the change, the whole change of, of cultural everything. I I thought that they could do that and be happy within the framework that we grew up with. I find it very hard. I don't know. I, I really don't know. I I would I love to know she's happy, but um, I still I just don't understand why she has to do this. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.